As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. You're listening to Here's the Catch with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. Here's the Catch Podcast. Back. Back again. Just, uh, what, it's been a little while since we last talked here. Right after the season, that was in early February. So now uh, nothing's happened, right? Over the, I guess quite literally nothing has happened on the Jimmy Garoppolo front. But a lot has happened on the 49ers overall front as far as players who have left, players they've added, and obviously, development of the news on the Garoppolo front. So, Matt, uh, where we stand right now is the 49ers still have Jimmy Garoppolo on the roster. But the way that I see it is that there's not really another firmly entrenched inflection point until week one of the 2022 season. I'm not saying that they're going to keep Garoppolo until week one. But basically, right now, they've got his $24.2 million base salary on the books, but it doesn't become guaranteed until week one, until he would theoretically make the the, the 53-man roster, right, uh, as a vested veteran. So that means that, you know, other inflection points may materialize before then. The Another team might become more quarterback needy due to injury, or the 49ers might have an inflection point of their own with Trey Lance in the offseason. But uh, right now, it's really hard to predict what's going to happen with Jimmy Garoppolo. All that we know is the 49ers have plan A, plan B, plan C, and it does certainly appear that plan A for them would be for Trey Lance to be the starter in 2022 and for them to get some trade value in return for Jimmy Garoppolo. But right now, that that is yet to be the case. He's still on the roster, so is Lance, and the 49ers are proceeding with some option power moving forward. Yeah, they're, they're able to tuck him under the, the salary cap. So it's not an issue at the moment. And I, I don't think it's going to be an issue from an image standpoint for a while. Because remember, he's he just had this shoulder surgery. So he's not going to be at any of these spring practices when they start up in May. Um, he's probably not even going to be at the facility. I, I imagine he's rehabbing in... Los Angeles. That's where he had the surgery. That's where all the kind of rehab facilities are. I think he's got a home there. He spends a lot of time in LA. So he might not be, you know, in in the Bay Area at all. So I think the 49ers are probably hoping it's a a case of uh, out of sight, out of mind for him for a little while. Uh, But when he does fully recover, um, you know, this is late June, early July. Um, yeah, I think that would be a time where 
uh, you know, this is after the draft, so teams would know what their um, what their situations look like at quarterback. They've just gone through all of OTAs and their mini camp. They've got a sense of what their teams look like, and and maybe that's the point. Healthy Garoppolo teams have a clear understanding of uh, of their quarterback situations that a trade happens. So, um, you know, the draft is an inflection point. I think what I just described is one, and then what you described, the, the very start of the season, I don't think Jed York wants to pay a guy $25 million to be the number two quarterback. Um, they've already got Nate Sudfeld at $2 million, which is much more in line, I think, with their their budgeting. So, uh, if, if there's still no takers at that point, gee, uh, David, I'd love to get your opinion on this. Do, do they just cut him uh, right before week one? Well, th- this will be, I think, contingent on where they think Trey Lance and the rest of the roster is. And this is why option power to me is powerful because Lance is still a relative unknown. Yes, they've gotten to know him for about a year now. They saw him in two starts in the 2021 season. But this is going to be a huge offseason for Trey because he wasn't with the team at this point of the last offseason. So they're, they're going to now get to see him, you know, try to absorb that playbook after having been immersed in it in 2021, become really a master of all the proceedings. And they're going to see him try to take that starting job. So they'll know a lot more about where exactly Trey Lance is in August than they do right now. On top of that, in an ideal world, I think that we've heard Lynch and Shanahan say this. In an ideal world, they would rather have as much depth in the quarterback room as that they would strive to have in the receiver room or the running back room because it's the most important position. Typically in the NFL, salary cap realities dictate that you can't have that all that much depth in the quarterback position because it's just so expensive to do so. And I think that up until you know a couple of weeks ago, it seemed that it'd be way too expensive for the 49ers to, to even carry Garoppolo onto the roster into the new league year. But I mean, I think what we're seeing the, the league's financial realities change right in front of our eyes. I think teams are really realizing, oh man, the cap is really going to spike with this 110 million billion, $110 billion of revenue coming in from the new TV deal. And so we've seen record money for Aaron Rodgers. We've seen record money for Deshaun Watson. We just saw our first $30 million non-quarterback and Tyreek Hill going to play for Mike McDaniel and the Dolphins. And we also saw the 49ers restructure contracts in a way that's been more aggressive than ever before. Armstead and Kittle to, to carry Garoppolo for the time being. Now, all, all that uh, is, is I think, linked by a common theme. It's that teams are much more willing to kick money down the road because they think that the cap is probably going to be $300 million by 2027, according to some of these revenue projections. And if they're willing to think that kicking money down the road is going to be a sustainable thing, it's it's more likely than ever now that the 49ers do think that they have some option power to keep both Garoppolo and Lance in the future. Now, I have to couch all that by saying that I'm not saying this is the, the, the most likely option. There still is value in saving and carrying that $24 million over to, to 2023. There, there still are, there still is a cap. There still will be a cap. There still will be some sort of limits. It's just a question of where those limits will be. I just know that those limits are much higher than they used to be given the the, the revenue projections of the league. So uh, uh, this is all to say that the 49ers believe that they are armed with options now because they feel that at the very least they're not playing a game of chicken anymore, right? A few weeks ago, we thought this was going to be a game of chicken and they'd have to cut Jimmy Garoppolo if they couldn't find anybody 
by that new league year. I think it's very clearly not a game of chicken anymore. And if this somehow does extend all the way into the actual season, remember that Garoppolo would only, you know, they'd only be losing the money on a week by week basis, right? So say that you kept them in the week three or week four, even as a backup, but hey, maybe he beats out Trey Lance as a starter. I, I, I don't know. But just say that he kept them and then a quarterback need arises elsewhere in week five. You can trade him then and that team takes the rest of his salary and you still carry over the 80 percent or whatever. That, that, that's a remainder. So uh, I don't think the four anchors anticipated getting to that point. I think they anticipate the trade market heating up once Garoppolo's shoulder heals, once, you know, another team needs a quarterback because injuries happen in the NFL, stuff shuffles in the NFL. But I also do believe that Jed York said after the draft in 2021 uh, hey, we we can budget to keep Garoppolo for two seasons. I think the 49ers really do feel that they have the option power and that gives them a little bit more trade power in any you know uh, possible trade situation to have those options because they're not playing that game of chicken. So I think it's complicated, but I think that when Lynch went out and said plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D at the combine, I think he actually meant it because I think the 49ers have charted out all of these possibilities, including the least likely one, and that's Garoppolo actually staying on the roster past week one. We should point out that if he did stay on the roster the entire season, then he becomes a free agent in 2023 and he signs a deal and quarterbacks sign big deals and uh, the 49ers likely would get a comp pick in 2024. So uh, that's down the line. It wouldn't be a high pick. I mean, we're talking third at the very highest and it would depend on what else the 49ers do in free agency in 2023. But uh, that would be another kind of uh, mark in the ledger of keeping him around for a while. I think the mark, the biggest mark in the other column is that, uh, you know, you want to uh, give the offense over to Trey Lance. And, and you did everything in, in 2022, uh, bringing him along slowly, uh, taking the Patrick Mahomes approach or sorry, 2021, um, uh, to, to kind of set that up. And by having Garoppolo there, just having his name on the roster, having everybody constantly talking about Jimmy Garoppolo, I feel like that undermines um, Trey Lance. It undermines him among his teammates. They'll never admit it. But just just knowing that, you know, whenever he makes a, a young person's mistake, having the fact that Garoppolo's there people will automatically think to themselves, oh, they should just put Jimmy Garoppolo in for a few games. And then all of a sudden, Lance has a stigma uh, attached to him. He's he's the Jordan Love of the 49ers. And I, I don't think that the 49ers want to do that. I think uh, from a psychological perspective, they'd like Jimmy Garoppolo just out of the picture altogether, off the books, and with maybe a uh, you know a, a draft pick or two as compensation. That's that's the ideal plan. So um, it'll be interesting. I mean, um, you know, we see quarterbacks get hurt uh, every now and then. Michael Vick had the famous injury in the preseason. Even Trey Lance got hurt last year in a preseason game. Remember that that finger injury that if he had been the starter. Uh, at that point, that would have affected him for the first month of the season, at least. Uh, yeah, his forefinger was, was broken. So um, those types of things happen. And, and maybe that happens to another team and it becomes very apparent 
where Jimmy Garoppolo should go. But right now, very fuzzy on that front. Or it happens to the 49ers and Trey Lance, something happens to him in the offseason program. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh boy, we're really happy that Jimmy Garoppolo is still on the roster because the equation changes completely. You know, that that's what I mean by option power is that we don't know what's going to happen over the next few months. So if there's nothing to gain by jettisoning Jimmy Garoppolo right now, and the 49ers won't do it because you have everything to lose, right? There's a common misconception that they're missing out on free agents because Garoppolo's money is still on the books, and it's just not true. They haven't missed out on a single free agent due to money uh, yet this year. They, I mean, yes, due to money. They didn't get uh, Lake and Tomlinson to resign and DJ Jones to resign, but that's because they were over the 49ers' budget and what the budget would have been regardless of whether or not Jimmy Garoppolo is still on the books. They're never going to pay over $10 million for a guard. They're never going to pay over $8 million annual uh, average per year for a defensive tackle. The, the 49ers, as we know, are rigid in their price structure for these positions. That's how they try to work into financial sustainability. And we also know that they still have other maneuvers they can do to free up money for other free agents, right? They, they can uh, extend Ebucom. They can go out there, extend Jimmy Ward. There's there's still a lot of maneuvers they can do to fit Garoppolo and also sign other guys. And, and you know, you can't force Chandler Jones to sign with you, even though they're trying to get Chandler Jones to sign with them. But uh, he, he did choose the Raiders instead. So uh, it, it to me, when you look at the, the overarching nature of this situation, as you said, Matt, I think that the 49ers have that plan in mind as plan A. They want Trey Lance's path to be clear. They don't want any distractions for him. They think that, okay, now should be the time for Trey Lance to grab that starting spot. But they also realize that Lance probably still has something to prove this offseason. He probably still has a couple steps to take before... They're 100% fully sure of that. Uh, if they, you know, somebody calls them tomorrow and offers them a huge return for Jimmy Garoppolo, they'll be willing to roll the dice and say, okay, we'll roll the dice with Trey Lance. It's worth this draft, you know, return, but it's not worth a minimal draft return or no draft return to let go of what what, what they view as, as a little bit of a safety blanket right now in, in, in Garoppolo. And as time progresses, they'll have A, more information on Trey Lance's development over the course of this offseason because Garoppolo will be, you know, uh, you know, under the radar. He'll be rehab from his shoulder surgery and B uh, there'll be probably more of a market for Garoppolo because his shoulder will be getting better eventually he'll, he'll be able to throw and we'll hit the inflection point that I talked about sooner and that's likely when this will be resolved and it will likely be resolved according to plan A but based on what we know about the NFL it's foolish to not talk about plans B and C and D uh, because these are obviously really fluid situations. Yeah, I wonder who you would rather have behind uh, an offensive line that's that's now missing. Lakin Tomlinson already had a question mark at right guard. Trey Lance for Jimmy Garoppolo. That seems to be the spot that they need to. They spent a lot of time uh, bulking up their defense. I mean, we can talk about that a little bit later. From the D line to the linebackers to the secondary, that seems like a pretty loaded unit, and we haven't even gotten to the draft yet. Uh, a draft that should be really deep in defensive linemen. So they've been spending most of their efforts on that unit and on special teams. The offense, oh, gee, that to me is the the question mark, the offensive line. And if you are handing the keys to the kingdom to Trey Lance, a guy who has all of two starts under his belt, I would think that you would want to bolster that interior unit more than you did. 
as you've noted many times, that was an issue in, in previous seasons, and it seems to have gotten a little worse this offseason. So I'm curious to see what their plan is. Is it Aaron Banks to left guard? Is it Aaron Banks to right guard? If it's Aaron Banks to left guard replacing Lakin Tomlinson, who's competing at right guard? Daniel Brunskill is back, and they've got a number of younger guys who could compete there, but uh, they also can be placed at tackle. So I wonder what the what the plan of attack for the offseason program getting into OTAs is for those two positions, because as you know, they're critical. That's the uh, quickest point to the quarterback is getting up through the guard. So it's something that the 49ers need to bolster. Yeah, it doesn't matter who's playing quarterback. If they don't improve pass protection, they will again fall short of a Lombardi trophy. I think that was clear after 2019. I don't think they improved the pass protection enough. And I think that in 2020, I mean, the, the, the injuries really started to bite them. But it illustrated what we were talking about all offseason. You have to build quality depth on that offensive line. And I'm I'm sorry, you know, when, when they put Colton McKibbitts in in week 18, I, thought, I really thought they got away with one. He gave up like five pressures, you know. They said that, uh, that, that, that he played – obviously he did play well enough for them to win because they did beat the Rams in that game. But – Boy, they still had to fight through a lot of pressure to win that game. And then Trent Williams played on a high ankle sprain in the championship game. And uh, that was maybe the worst performance of his career. And it obviously wasn't good enough because the 49ers were leaking pressure elsewhere. And I think that it might have been a win had the 49ers been able to put Daniel Brunskill in for Trent Williams at one of the tackle spots. Because Brunskill played really well back in... 2019 as a swing tackle, but obviously they weren't able to do that because Brunskill was the starter at guard. Not only was he the starter at guard, he was a struggling starter at guard. Pressure was coming through there, and you saw the whole domino effect really unravel. So, I mean, it's no coincidence, right, to me that the Bengals season ended in almost exactly the same way as the 49ers season. Against the Rams at SoFi Stadium with Aaron Donald wrapped around the quarterback, and the quarterback in the Bengals' case, it was Joe Burrow. In the 49ers' case, it was Jimmy Garoppolo making a desperation heave that had no chance as he was falling to the ground. Symbolic, but also fitting, because now we look at the offseason, and the Bengals have gone out and made huge investments in their offensive line. They brought in, what, three veterans for their offensive line. And the 49ers right now, well, they've only let a veteran leave. Lakin Tomlinson, I, I get it. They don't want to pay him $13 million per year. He's with the Jets. But as you said... The 49ers have major, major work to do. So they have to roll up their sleeves and make sure that they somehow plug that whole left guard. I don't know if you can trust Banks, but maybe they will. And, you know, right guard has remained an issue year in and year out. So do you go to the draft? Do you sign somebody like Billy Turner, who I think is a potential solution for a lot of problems? He was with the Packers, recently released. Right tackle this past year, but he's played a lot of guard. He'd be a veteran. He would know the generalities of the 49ers scheme because Green Bay does some related stuff. And you'd bring a veteran in there without trusting a rookie. I mean, they might have trusted Banks a little too much to deliver right away. He didn't, and that's one of the reasons they got into that late-season mess in 2021. So there are so many holes on the interior, and that's before we even address right tackle where – 
there are short and long-term problems. A, Mike McGlinchey's coming off a torn quad. That's a serious injury. So I don't think it's fair to assume that he's going to be back at 100% or back at his very effective self. And he was playing really well. Uh, before the injury in 2021 and B he he's on a contract year this is his fifth year option year so you don't have a, a long-term solution right now right tackle and you certainly don't want to extend his contract until you see how he comes back from this injury so the 49ers have to address left guard they have to address right guard and they have to address you know right tackle at least as far as a contingency plan goes and that's before we even get to Alex Mack who probably will play next year at center but right now he's not thinking about that he's getting married in Ireland right any day right now um, some of the 49ers are out there in Dublin for that. So uh, he's going to be 37. So that's four out of five positions, Matt, that the 49ers have to figure out. I mean, the, the offensive line right now, it ranges between question mark and problem for the 49ers, and it's probably a little bit of both. Yeah, you have four guys on this team, uh, and I'll, I'll tick them off. Jalen Moore, Justin School, Colton McKivitz, and Daniel Brunskill, who are these sort of uh, tackle guard guys. They can they can, They played... Uh, both positions, uh, which is which is great, and you need a couple of guys like that on a team. But I think at some point you just have to make a decision: uh, are, are the are these guys guards or are these guys tackles? Is Jalen Moore going to kind of um, hover between both, or do you want to develop him into a future starter at guard? Uh, for, you know, the heroics that Colton McKibbitts performed in that week 18 game um, in, in uh, Los Angeles against the Rams uh, at left tackle, I, I think he's more of a guard and, and can be a good guard. I don't think he's ever going to be great, uh, but I think he can be better at guard than he can at tackle. It's probably the same with, with Justin School. Uh, so, I mean, I, I, they've got bodies along the offensive line, um, you know, circumstances have, have made it, for example, last year, um, they couldn't give Jalen Moore any snaps at, at guard because Sean Coleman um, was a, a, a disappointment at tackle. And so Jalen Moore had to become the swing tackle right off the bat. Uh, hopefully they've got a, a firm plan and there are no outside issues, uh, injuries, this, that, and the other that, um, you know, forced them to kind of be ambivalent about some of those guys. Because uh, I think if they did, they would find, um, out of that group, one decent starter-worthy guard. And that's all you can, you can ask for. I mean, back to your point about drawing a strict line on not paying a, a guard over $10 million. I get it too, but, uh, you know, if, if you're talking about bringing in a, uh, a a very inexperienced starting quarterback. I would think that you would have paid a little bit more to keep Lake and Tomlinson, uh, keep that left side intact. So you got Mack at center, Tomlinson at guard, um, uh, Trent Williams at left tackle. You don't have to worry about that part. You you worry about the other two. Uh, I think it would have been worth the money. And if you had traded Garoppolo or gotten rid of him somehow. Maybe you would have had leeway to do that, whereas whereas you certainly didn't uh, this time around. And, um, you know, I, I get it. And, and I think that they don't feel like Lakin Tomlinson, who was very good, wasn't perfect. Remember, it was uh, a missed block by Lakin Tomlinson that led to Garoppolo getting hurt in 2020. Uh, so they know uh, Tomlinson's flaws, and they didn't think that he was worth it. They're probably right, but maybe it was worth it just for the reassurance 
when you're when you're changing guard, pardon the pun, at quarterback this season. He seemed to indicate that Tomlinson was more likely to bring back than DJ Jones because it seemed that that was more of a priority for them. And you know, his quote was, "Barring Lakin's market going crazy, I think we'll be able to get something done." Uh, the market did go crazy. Obviously, thirteen point three million average per year for Tomlinson, who, you know, he might be a right on the fringe of a top ten guard if you look at the if you look at the pass blocking metrics and the run blocking metrics. He was right there, what number twelve, number thirteen, but the durability I think put him into the top ten. We talk all the time about how he missed only two out of six thousand or so possible snaps, and those were because. He, he his shoe came off or shoe came untied right over the course of five years so um you like that fixture of durability at left guard and i think the 49ers probably wrestled with this in their heads you know how how high are we willing to go for tomlinson we were all talking about a potential market of what nine million or so and when we said hey maybe we'll get to 10 for him and and the question was will the 49ers match it if it does get to 10 and in my head, it seems that based on what Lynch was saying, the market going crazy, I think they would have matched it had it gone to 10, maybe even to 11. But I think when it went to 13, that just far and away blew away what, what they're willing to pay. And they decided to roll the dice uh, in a different way, right? You roll the dice by paying him, and you also roll the dice by, by not paying him in this situation. At the end of the day, though, you, you have to get production out of your your premium draft picks and a second round draft pick to me used on a guard for Aaron Banks. It's a premium pick. So, I mean, either he's going to show up and deliver for the 49ers and they're going to be okay, or their poor drafting in, you know, in that particular instance is going to come back and bite them because it's hard to think if you're not willing to spend for Lake and Tomlinson, it's hard to think that you're going to be able to find, uh, you know, good, reliable production off the bargain bin. It's the draft that can replenish this type of talent. So I think that, you know, a veteran signing would be smart, but the problem is they have to fill left guard and right guard. If you want to upgrade over Brunskill and move Brunskill into that utility role, and and that's where you know Banks is such a key. You can't just have that be a sunk cost at this point. Ba- Banks has got to give you something, or else you'll really be scrambling. Yeah, it, it's funny. Um, you know, losing Tomlinson, losing Mostert, uh, maybe losing Trent Sherfield and, and some other guys. It's really they're, uh, they're it's the result of their success because look who's bidding on these guys. It's it's the Jets and the Dolphins, two two teams with former 49ers assistants uh, at head coach. So uh, and two teams that had a lot of salary cap space entering free agency. So um, obviously it was those teams that were really sort of rationing up the market for some of these guys. Certainly the Jets who ended up uh, bringing in Tomlinson. Um, and um, yeah, you're probably right. They would they would have gone to a certain point for him. Uh, the Jets were just, they just had the leeway to go farther. And for all the same reasons, like we can just, you know, uh, plug him in. We know exactly what we're getting. He knows this offense really well. We don't have to worry about injuries with him. Um, and they just had uh, the wherewithal to, to go a little bit higher. Uh, I, I think what 49ers fans are dreading is, you know, right from the get-go, and you'll be able to re- remember this guy's name. I, I can't do it right now. But back in 2017, when um, when Shanahan came in, they put a journeyman at right guard. Um, his last name starts with an F. Can't pull it. Brandon Fusco. Fusco. Good job, David. <laughs> um, so they, they had Brandon Fusco at right guard, and, and he was fine. 
like I said, journeyman right guard. And then the next year, it was Mike Person at right guard, journeyman right guard. Had him for a couple of years. And then, um, you know, they, they went to Tom Compton, journeyman right guard. Now, then this last season, it was Brunskill. Hasn't been a journeyman, but that he's of that, that uh, uh, strata, that ilk. Uh, so you, you, you need to, at some point, you, you can't keep band-aiding that very important uh, position and expect the results to be different. And it looks like that's going to be the case again this year. It looks like it's going to be Banks at left guard and Brunskill at right guard. So you got a very inexperienced guy at left guard and you got the same guy who struggled in 2021 at right guard. So that, that's that's a problem to me that you're not making any fixes, any progress at these important positions. You know, and that's why I would advocate for them to, to, to spend the money and sign somebody like Billy Turner. I think it's I think it's that important for the 49ers. Again, Packers right tackle, but he's played right guard for the Packers. You got a veteran fixture in there. I don't know if he could play on the left side. I know his most recent actions come on the right side. And I think Aaron Banks obviously uh, might be more comfortable at the left guard spot because of uh, how he finished his career in Notre Dame. So maybe you get Banks in there at left guard, Billy Turner on the right side. I mean, that kills two birds with one stone. It helps you breathe a little bit easier with uh, Mike McGlinchey recovering from the quad injury, maybe buys you some time at right tackle. And, you know, if all goes well, McGlinchey's healthy enough to play right tackle. Turner's your right guard. You upgrade there. Alex Max, obviously your center. Yes, you still rely on Aaron Banks in that scenario, but he is a second-round pick, and uh, Lynch has said that he's transformed his body, so you see what goes on at left guard. And then Brunskill can swing around, and, and you know, Trent Williams is, uh, you know, not indestructible. He, he, he misses time. He missed time last year. We just talk, talked about the high ankle sprain. Then, then you, I think you feel so much better with Daniel Brunskill as a swing tackle. Maybe even Daniel Brunskill, as he's the swing tackle, can can be an apprentice under Alex Mack for a potential center job in the future if Mack retires after this next season. So uh, I just think you got to spend some money on it. All the other teams, uh, you know, when they struggle up front, they spend money on it, right? The the Kansas City Chiefs, they they saw Mahomes get wrecked in the Super Bowl against the Bucks. They went out and they they bought linemen. The Bengals have gone out; they've bought linemen. I think the 49ers have to buy at least one guy. I, I really do. I don't think you could keep on relying on the draft here. So that would be my advice. If I'm the GM for the 49ers, I would actually carve out some some money here for, for this offensive line. I think a guy like Billy Turner is actually more versatile than Lakin Tomlinson, and you need versatility right now. But, hey, I'm not running the team. You know me. I, I've advocated for this for a while. You know, it was last year they, they did spend money. They, they re-signed Trent Williams. They signed Alex Mack. I think they realized the importance of investment, but I think they have to go one step further. I think at, in times like these, the offensive line is that important. Yeah, you get the offensive line right, and uh, you know maybe you don't have to spend quite as much at, at other positions, running back, um, you know, wide receiver, things like that, uh, because your your offensive line is humming. <laughs> it protects your biggest investment, your your quarterback. So. Uh, it makes sense. Billy Turner would be great. Another kind of veteran guy just to bring some some stability, some presence uh, to that line. And you're right. It would be a backstop against a, uh, a Mike McGlinchey hiccup. And we should note that there, there haven't been any reports of hiccups. I think that's all been going as planned. But uh, you, you did state that it's a 
pretty big injury, so you want to be sure. Um, but um, yeah, I think that plus you know throw throw these young guys in a bag, have them compete, and if you're not if you if you sink, then you're off the team. I mean that's that's just it. I mean some of these guys, it's oh he can play. He can play on the right side, but he's not used to playing on the left side. Well, I mean, if you can't do that in the NFL, you shouldn't be playing in the NFL. Um, you know, th- this should be the offseason where you figure out which of these young guys deserves to be on the team, who's got the potential to be a starter. And if you're not, you're done. You're cut and you're on somebody else's squad. Uh, I think there's been a lot of that going on in, in recent seasons. Uh, but we should, this is all doom and gloom, we should turn our attention to the defensive side, which seems a lot brighter, especially after uh, Thursday's news that uh, Kerry Hyder is coming back after uh, a one-year uh, exile in Seattle, in which he only had a one and a half sacks. Comes back to the place where he had eight and a half sacks the year before. Yeah, so the 49ers doing a good job playing money ball in the defensive line. The guy that makes it possible is their their coach, Chris Kacerik, who might be the best at that position job in the NFL. But the 49ers played $1.5 million in 2020 for 8.5 sacks from Kerry Hyder. The Seahawks ended up paying out $3.7 million for one and a half sacks for Kerry Hyder in 2021. So you could see how the return on investment there was... A fraction of what the 49ers got. And now the 49ers are bringing Hyder back on a $1.5 million cap hit, 750K guaranteed, and 750K of sack incentives. And, you know, it's just another creative way of backloading the deal and kicking money into the future because the way that incentives work against the cap is they're either likely to be earned or not likely to be earned. And if they're not likely to be earned, they don't count against the cap this season. They'll count against the cap in future years if Hyder earns them. So the, the, the determination is made by the previous season stats. So the fact that Hyder only had a sack and a half for Seattle means that whatever for incentives the 49ers have for him sack-wise are going to be more than that, right? So that's $750,000, even if he earns it. And I think the 49ers, you know, at least are optimistic that he has a chance to earn it because you wouldn't sign him if, if, if you didn't. But uh, even if he earns it, it won't count against the cap until the 49ers have, uh, you know, a little bit more money to spend. And that's going to be uh, in those future years where they're pushing all that money back. Plus, it gives Hyder incentive. He's had two eight-sack seasons, right? Um, 2016 and, and 2020. Both of those have come with Chris Kacerik as his defensive line coach. So, uh, he Kerry Hyder has replaced Arden Key the year after I think Arden Key replaced Kerry Hyder because I don't think the 49ers are going to sign Key now. Now, it's entirely possible, Matt, that Arden Key goes somewhere, is not nearly as productive as he was in, in 2021, <laughs> and the 49ers <laughs> pick up Arden Key because he wants to get back with Chris Kacerik <laughs> in 2023. That just seems to be the circle of life and a good illustration of how the 49ers defensive line operates with one of the best coaches in the game. And that's t- entirely possible. Uh, the, the 49ers were anticipating a much bigger market, I think, than what, what Key has seen. And uh, he struggled to find a home. And I, I think that that group, the defensive linemen, have sort of stagnated after a, an early gold rush. Uh, there are a lot of them on the market, which I, I think allowed the 49ers to, to sign Kerry Hyder back on the cheap. Um, you know, he's interesting. Uh, to me, the, the way it's set up now, um, the ideal lineup for the 49ers is, of course, you've got Nick Bosa. Uh, at one defensive end position, you've got uh, Eric Armstead and Javon Kinlaw inside, and then I think on base downs, uh, Kerry Hyder's your 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 best bet there. 
Uh, and then uh, on obvious passing downs or maybe nickel downs, Hyder slides inside. Remember, he's got that outside-inside versatility. And uh, Ebicom comes in and uses his speed. And, um, you know, it's not uh, not quite 2019 when you had Buckner and D. Ford out there. But uh, I think that's a pretty good group. And I still think that despite all of these additions on defense, on the defensive line, that, that might end up being the, the position that, um, you know, the 49ers are looking at, at uh, with the, their top pick, which is uh, pick number 61 in the second round. Um, that's, there are going to be a lot of defensive ends there. There are going to be a lot of wide receivers there. There should be some good safeties there. Um, I don't know about guard and center at that point after their Aaron Banks, uh, I don't want to say miss, but he certainly didn't hit the ball out of the park as a rookie. I, I'm not sure if they go with that position there, although we just talked uh, a, a lot about the need for bringing in some more bodies. Uh, but I, I would say those other three uh, are, are looking like the top targets in that second round. Yeah, and John Lynch made the point at the Combine saying that he thought that the 2021 draft was very top-heavy and there wasn't great depth. So that's why the 49ers were totally okay with trading up. Obviously, the, the quarterback mar- uh, market in that draft was way more top-heavy than it is this year with everybody fawning over Trey Lance and Justin Fields. And there was a whole Mac Jones debate uh, thrown into all that. Obviously, Lawrence went at the top, but... This year, Lynch thinks that the draft is much more evened out as far as talent goes because he thinks the he thinks the whole COVID situation created these these market imbalances in which the very top players rushed up to the draft, the elite guys rushed to the draft in 2021, but a lot of the second tier guys, you know, solid players who weren't in the you know projected to go first round or, or top 15, a lot of those guys uh, decided to stay in school for a year. And because of that, it's created a market that's that's very deep this year. So the 49ers are more than content to have nine picks kind of spread out in that deep pool. Remember their first pick is number 61. Now that that's going to make this way less predictable and it's unpredictable to begin with because it's the draft. But, you know, Maybe the 49ers do a little trading up because the way I look at the roster right now, you already got 49 out of 53 projected spots taken You know, on the depth chart that I kind of operate online. That doesn't mean the guys can't be displaced, but uh, it's going to be hard for rookies to make the team. And that's, that's the goal at this point of the year, right? You want to have a roster that's deep enough to make it hard for rookies to make the team. But the 49ers have nine picks, and it's not realistic to think that all nine are going to beat guys out. Obviously, there will be injuries, so you want to create enough competition to insulate yourself from that. But I do think that some maneuverability, if the 49ers really like a guy that might not last past mid-second round, for example, they might package some of those picks and jump up a few spots. But it's going to be fascinating because it, all the moves are going to be more under the radar this year with them not being in that first round. Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, and there are some uh, positions that they could take uh, on that second day later in the draft uh, where you wouldn't quite need the, the guy to you know jump in right away. But, um, you know, it, it might be smart to have a guy like that on the roster, um, you know, somebody to apprentice behind Alex Mack. I think that would be a very wise pick. Um, you know, re- receiver, they've, they've got, you know, three good starters um, in Juwan Jennings and Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk. They could use a little bit more deep speed even after signing Ray Ray McLeod, um, but maybe you, you bring in a wideout who has that speed. Maybe he 
gets in for, I don't know, six snaps a game, but um, is somebody that uh, you feel in two or three years can become a starter. I think that's important. Safety, uh, that that's sort of a, an interesting position because you've got Jimmy Ward, who's uh, now in his 30s. It doesn't look like they're bringing back Joukowsky Tart. They've got some bodies in Talanoa Hufanga and Tarvarius Moore and George Odom. None of those guys screams, you know, bona fide starter. Um, I, I, I think maybe one could develop into that, but that also seems like a spot where you bring in a young guy this year and uh, in two years, he's the captain of your uh, safety group or something like that. So, um, and then linebacker, I think, is another position that they could take later in the draft. Uh, they're all set there this season, but now you've got Aziz Alshair plus Trey Greenlaw uh, scheduled to become unrestricted free agents in 2023. Uh, they will keep either one or none of those guys. I doubt they pay both. So um, having uh, an up-and-comer there, and they've done a really nice job of kind of finding diamonds in the rough at, at middle linebacker, inside linebacker over the years. That seems like a really nice fourth, fifth, sixth-round pick. Maybe they even take two uh, this season. Yeah, it's the, the, the possibilities are very, very uh, broad. We'll get, get more into the draft stuff later. One guy that I like for that potential apprenticeship role behind Alex Mack is Luke Fortner out of Kentucky. He's a player who's showed ability to play both guard spots. And then for his senior year with Kentucky, where one of the 49ers assistant offensive line coaches is now actually the head offensive line coach. Zach Yenzer went there, but Fortner played um, center for Kentucky this past season. So, I mean, the 49ers are going to do deep dives on all these guys. And, you know, they might pick up a guy who's only played guard, hasn't played center yet, uh, to, to, to do that apprenticeship behind Alex Mack. But it is important to note that center requires a different skill set especially cerebrally. You're, you are running a ton of stuff in this offense. And, you know, assuming that Mac does not retire, and it seems to be trending that way, but assuming that you have him on the roster, you got to take advantage of that wealth of knowledge. I mean, this was NFL's best center for an entire decade, right? Uh, this is a guy who not only was NFL's best center, but was also a center and has also been a center in three different Shanahan offenses for the Browns, for the Falcons, and now the 49ers. So he understands the machinations and the communication and the leadership and everything. I mean, it's like a quarterback on the field. They put a lot on the center. So he's been in the league. What, this is going to be year number 14 for Alex Mack. Uh, you got to take advantage of the fact that he's like a walking encyclopedia for such a critical position. So I think that the 49ers absolutely must leverage it. Uh, this season, and and, and, I, and I think they're going to find a way to do that, whether it be drafting somebody, signing somebody, or hell, Daniel Brunskill, I thought, did a good job there, given the fact he had no training at the position in 2020. So the only thing about Brunskill is if you want him to have an apprenticeship behind Mac, you can't, um, you know, I don't think you could be focusing on the right guard starting spot and that at the same time. I think that you really want to free him of those duties and, and make him your utility lineman while he's learning. Yeah, that's why I think these, these spring practices, which will um, start up, uh, well, they'll start up in April, but uh, we won't see them until May. But just kind of taking stock of who's practicing where, um, I think is going to be really interesting because it it'll it'll show what uh, what the 49ers are thinking or, or at least what they're hoping that uh, one guy could uh, possibly be 
the, the new guy at right guard, at left guard, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, I agree with what you said about Mac. I mean, we've heard him talk, I don't know, maybe a dozen times over the last season. And one thing he says over and over is that he really feels that he's custom made for this offense. So, um, you know, you, you have to kind of study that and, and find somebody else that you can project can do those sorts of things. Bring that guy in and and then have a, a guy like Mac explain to that youngster uh, exactly what it takes to run it. Because Mac knows it better than any center in the league. Um, and uh, and you're right. It's uh, it would be foolish not to take full advantage of that of, of that uh, of that knowledge of that experience in what could be. Remember, he turns 37 uh, during the season in what could be Max last year. Yeah. So by you know, I think we're in we're in lockstep. We believe that offensive line is of paramount importance for the 49ers. Why don't we you know just wrap up by talking about some of these free agents the 49ers have signed? Because I think that there's been a clear focus for this team on special teams, as, as there should be. Uh, the offense was good in 2021. The defense ended up playing well in 2021. If there was you know if there was a hole on the defense, it was the cornerback position at the end of the year. I mean, they got roasted in that loss. Uh, in NFC title games of the Rams by Odell Beckham Jr. and Cooper Cup. So no surprise, the 49ers went out, got a higher price cornerback in Charvarius Ward, who, by the way, statistically was a top 10, maybe even top five guy for Kansas City last year. Really sticky cornerback. The advanced stats love him. Um, we'll see you know, what, what, what the deal with Charvarius Ward and the rotation will be at the 49ers cornerback position. I think they, they, you know, they let Kwan Williams walk. He's with Denver now, two-year deal, because Kwan started to de- decline this past season as far as his coverage ability. So I, I think you're going to have Ward on one side, maybe Emmanuel Mosley at the other starting position, but I think they want to play Ambry Thomas. So maybe you have Mosley kick inside to the nickel and, and, and have Thomas uh, move in to, to play the outside cornerback, or you draft somebody that mixes into that competition. But I think as far as going beyond that big signing of Ward, the focus on special teams has been pronounced for the 49ers. I mean, you have Oren Burks, who was the Packers special teams ace linebacker, kind of a linebacker safety hybrid who uh, could be a contributor in that phase of the game. You have George Odom, special teams all pro in 2020, led the year and uh, led, led the league in special teams tackles. And you have Ray Ray McLeod, return specialist who actually led the league in punt return yardage last year. I mean, these are all you know positions the 49ers badly needed filled. Plus, they've changed special teams coordinators to a guy who saw a lot of success with a loaded special teams unit in Seattle and, and Brian Schneider. And I can guarantee you that Brian Schneider is happy that the 49ers have made this type of investment, Matt, in that special teams unit. Yeah, and, and you can throw in Dante Johnson into that that mix. I mean, um, you know, he, he's their, their do-everything guy in the secondary, but his primary role is on special teams. So, um, you know, that, th- those guys that you mentioned, Talanoa Hufanga, uh, Tarverius Moore. Uh, Tarverius Moore was really good on special teams. God, I forget what uh, what season it was. Twenty twenty, I think it was. And then there were some injuries in the secondary, and so he had to move in on defense and, and didn't play special teams as much. But my point is, they've got a lot of bodies there. What, what you want on special teams is a lot of linebackers and a lot of safeties. Um, you know, uh, for your for your coverage units. And on paper. They look good. I would have said that last year at this time too, though, because uh, they uh, they drafted Hufanga. They brought in Trent Sherfield. 
Um, and they seem to be uh, really concentrating on bulking up their, their coverage units as well. And it just didn't happen. Uh, so we'll see if this year's crop, plus the addition of a new special teams coach, a guy with a great pedigree. I mean, back in the day when the 49ers and the Seahawks were going at it, I mean, that was one of the reasons why the Seahawks were so good. They had a fantastic special teams. They had a good, young, up-and-coming quarterback. Um, and they, of course, had the, uh, the, the, the snuff-you-out defense. But I, I think the defense and the special teams sort of went hand-in-hand in Seattle. You, you, you bring in a lot of good, young, hungry, aggressive defensive guys, and you're probably going to have a good special teams, too. Um, and that's what the 49ers are trying to, to replicate this year. Um, and, uh, so if they're not better in 2022, that's going to be a big disappointment because I think, uh, as you noted, David, this has been a real kind of uh, concentration point for Kyle Shanahan. Yeah. Uh, they, again, offense, defense, both top 10 units, especially by the end of the 2021 season, special teams. Yeah. I guess by the end they are doing a bit better, right? <laughs> when you looked at that Green Bay game, but uh, it was, you know, there's a lot of one step forward, two steps back for that special teams this past year. They had good games. They, uh, they, they don't beat Cincinnati without winning the special teams battle in week 14. Uh, you know, it might have been a case of Cincinnati throwing up all over themselves. But, hey, you got to be there to recover the fumbles. And the 49ers did that in week 14. I think that was River Craycraft, right? I think he was all over a couple of those fumbles. But. Um, didn't Craycraft also sign with Miami? Isn't everybody now with Mike McDaniel? <laughs> Everybody's either in uh, Miami or uh, with the Jets out in Long Island. Yeah, Jets. So the 49ers have 49ers Northeast, 49ers Southeast over there on the East Coast. But um, yeah, you got, you've got that, that special teams unit, which delivered in a couple games, but just was terrible. Both games against Seattle. Um, and obviously uh, against Dallas, they weren't any good in the playoffs, but then they, they, they had that shining moment against Green Bay and they need more of that. And, you know, if anything, it's me more consistency. As Shanahan told, I think it was the CBS crew before the um, game against the Cowboys, uh, I just need special teams to not mess things up. And, and they messed things up a few too many times this past season. So you try to get that better. Well, well I mean, we'll have more episodes here coming up before you before the draft. Because one thing I want to touch on more is, is that cornerback position, what the 49ers are going to do in the secondary. And to be honest, I still need more information to see exactly what they're going to do in the secondary. I know they have Charvarius Ward. I know they have Mosley. I know they have Ambry Thomas, George Odom, good tackler. Uh, didn't miss a single tackle in the box last year. So, you know, maybe he's part of a three-safety rotation there with Jimmy Ward and Tano Hufanga, obviously, with Ward not coming off the field. So uh, it, there's still a chance, though, the 49ers make some big moves in, in, in the draft there, and I'm, I'm going to be excited to talk about it. But I think we kind of covered, right, all, all corners of the roster here, at least to begin, as as we talk about uh, roster construction. Yeah, for sure. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll get back at it as the draft approaches and – I think it'll be clear at that point uh, where the gaps still remain and, uh, you know, uh, over the course of the draft. Nine picks, uh, no first rounder, but nine picks is, is not uh, not nothing, uh, how they might kind of fill those last spots. Good stuff. All right. Well, for Matt Barrows, this is David Lombardi. We'll talk to you all next time on Here's the Catch.